This is the morning brief from the Economic Times. For this rule to happen at this time when India's story is all over the world in terms of it's almost like a warlike situation. You need all hands on deck. And at that time you have this administrative rule that is limiting the ability of the people who are closest to the far flung areas closest to the communities in helping them so it seems cruel if not criminal that was dr tulika narain a development economist in the united states who's been volunteering with us based association for india's development for over 25 years I'd spoken to her earlier to understand her experience with the recent rule in India that's become no less than a brick wall that donors abroad are currently up against. Now these are volunteers and non-profits that have been used to jumping right in to help India in times of trouble through donations and partnerships with scores of local NGOs. But today when India is facing one of its worst humanitarian crises Volunteers like Tulika and donors abroad are incredibly frustrated. They say they are not being able to help India to the extent they want to all because of a specific amendment to the Foreign Contribution Regulation Act or FCRA made in September 2020 which makes it very tough for thousands of NGOs to receive foreign donations even if they have FCRA approval. It's a situation that's left civil society and foreign donors feeling increasingly helpless and desperate at a time when they are trying to reach out to the most vulnerable among our fellow citizens. Stay with us to understand the magnitude of this crisis that's confronting India's non-profit sector in its fight with COVID. You're listening to the Morning Brief from the Economic Times and I'm Indulekha Arvind. explain the contours of this problem its ramifications and possible solutions i've invited two guests who've either been tracking the issue closely or have first hand experience of its impact ingrid shrinath is the founder director of the center for social impact and philanthropy at ashoka university and she's been consistently raising red flags about the fcra amendment ever since it was passed we also have with us sachin jain the founder of vikas samvad samiti which works in tribal dominated regions in madhya pradesh who's joining us from bhopal thank you both of you for being on the morning brief ingrid i'd like to start with you can you help us understand how ngos have been contributing in the fight against covid and why is it that in this moment of crisis many of them are unable to accept foreign contributions even if they have active fcra licenses So in the Lekha uh, we just completed actually a research study at CSIP this is field work that was done in February 2021 and our study covered almost 400 organizations across 20 states in India uh this the research suggests that 84% of ngos that we surveyed have responded to the crisis in one way or another and the services that they've provided range from spreading awareness of covid appropriate behaviors facilitating testing providing food transport livelihood support uh providing stepping in to fill in the gaps in education in um on malnutrition on 
hunger. They've provided PPE to frontline workers. Uh, and now in the second wave, what we're hearing is large numbers of NGOs engaged in delivering, first of all, verified information, but also oxygen, access to ambulances, access to hospital beds, providing oxygen concentrators and helping people register to get vaccinated. So international contributions, both in cash and in kind, have run into obstacles posed by these new amendments to the FCRA. There are two major hurdles. The first one is the requirement that each FCRA licensed NGO should open a new bank account at the New Delhi main branch of the State Bank of India. What this resulted in, of course, is some 20,000 NGOs were now required to open new accounts all at the same time. The data at the moment is suggesting that about 60% of these eligible NGOs have not yet been able to get these accounts activated. And the reasons for the, for the delays range from your local SBI branch in Bhopal, where Sachin is, or in Dibrugarh, where somebody else is, lacks the adequate information, first of all, on what is necessary. They then create all kinds of requirements for paperwork and fulfilling those requirements, including getting your trustees signatures. Sometimes your trustees are not located in the same city that you are in. All of this has been very difficult during the pandemic. Then this goes to the New Delhi office, and we're told that much of the team at the New Delhi office has been hit by COVID, and so their capacity to process applications has been limited. And finally, it runs into delays at the Ministry of Home Affairs, where you have to get this account certified as being your primary FCRA account. The second major hindrance is the ban on subgranting. Prior to September 2020, if I as an NGO was licensed under FCRA, I could then receive international funds and subgrant them to smaller NGOs who are also FCRA licensed. This practice has now been banned. And so organizations like Sachin's, the organizations that are closest to the communities, the ones that have the best understanding of the changing needs and have the capacity to respond swiftly can no longer access international funds. It's also become much harder for NGOs to work in coalitions. This was a strategy that in the first wave really helped to scale up responses rapidly. Working in coalitions has become a lot more difficult because of the ban on subgranting. And so between these two impediments, the flow of aid from overseas in particular has slowed down to a trickle. You mentioned that 60% of NGOs have not been able to get those crucial SBI Delhi bank accounts activated. That sounds like a staggering number. That's over 13,000 NGOs. And uh, you, of course, are in touch with a lot of these NGOs. What have you heard from them in terms of uh, you know having to go through what seems to me to be a kind of baffling recommendation that all of their accounts have to be in one branch of one bank in one city? Well, the government says that this is to enable them to track uh, the flow of money better. Uh, I'm as puzzled as you are because they are handling roughly 16 times that amount of FBI money and having no difficulty tracking that. Uh, so why this tiny 
uh, flow of uh, non-profit money is requiring so much extra scrutiny is something that I, I fail to understand. For the NGOs on the ground, this has been a nightmarish period. As I mentioned, they first start by going to their local SBI branch. The local SBI branch usually has no idea what they're meant to do. They either have not received instructions from head office or they have not understood them. The NGO now has the onus of explaining to the local branch manager what uh, is required from them. Uh, there is no incentive for the local SBI branch to be helpful because if they make a mistake, there will, the penalties will be severe, but there's absolutely no reward for getting it right and doing it quickly. Uh, once they've understood it, many of them have come up with their own requirements over and above the statutory requirements. So people have asked for affidavits, people have asked for trustees to turn up at the branch in person. Obviously, during lockdown periods, this is extremely difficult to do. Uh, when you finally clear all the hurdles at your local branch, as I said, it then goes to Delhi, where you kind of lose track of it because it's impossible to get even a response from the New Delhi main branch of SBI as to what is the status of your application. Mm -hmm. Once you get that confirmation, you then have to inform the home ministry that this is the account that you wish to use uh, for your FCRA inflows. And you have to wait a further period, again, with no possibility of follow-up uh, for them to confirm that this account is now uh, approved for such use. It's... Uh, and, and while you're doing this, you're also simultaneously trying to comply with all the other new requirements, which have nothing to do with FCRA. So you're trying to register on the Ministry of Corporate Affairs portal to receive CSR funds. You're trying to renew your ATG and 12A income tax exemptions, which was again a new change made in 2019 uh, and for which the deadline uh, is, is fast approaching. So at a time when you really need all hands on deck, NGOs have been spending huge amounts of time just complying and chasing after paperwork. I mean, it sounds like a bureaucratic nightmare, especially at a time like this. Uh, Sachin, I imagine your experience is not too dis dissimilar to what Ingrid has just described. Could you give us a sense about how these changes are impacting the work that you do in Madhya Pradesh and organizations like yours? Uh, last year, we were able to provide essential support like food and nutrition kits, safety gears to the district families and frontline workers. Our main focus was on uh, nutrition and food security of children under the age of six years and uh, pregnant and lactating women because we were finding that they were the worst hit from the pandemic and the lockdown. Uh, we could reach out to somewhere around 4,000 families with the food and nutrition support. Along with this, uh, looking at livelihood crisis, we were also implementing water conservation work and uh, providing economic relief to uh, 1,000 uh, individuals. Uh, in the first wave, the COVID pandemic, uh, there was no fear of infection. In fact, rural areas were less burdened with positive cases. Uh, but things have drastically changed in the second wave now. Moving on now, in the second wave of this pandemic, unfortunately, our rural areas have taken the worst hit. Over 50% of cases in the country now come from the hinterland. More persons need secondary and tertiary care. It means like it is not the local hospital will be able to treat them. And our rural health infrastructure is less equipped with the, with the requirement health system. So uh, this time in the second wave, actually, uh, we feel that more than 80% population is in need of food and employment support immediately. And we, we were thinking that we will be able to provide some support to these uh, persons in distress. 
but the problem is because of the changes in uh, in fcra uh, which actually uh, came into existence in september 2020 the first impact is that we are not allowed to work collectively and share resources so earlier it was a very big strength because we were getting uh, resources uh, from the different organizations uh, those who were having uh, more amount of resources and uh, that was a really a big support the second impact which we are witnessing now is it is not only meant for financial support it also covers support in kinds like food oximeters and thermometers we have organizations willing to provide oximeters or oxygen concentrators but it is again access through uh, fcra so that is not uh, possible uh, for us to access because uh, fcra also says that you cannot sh- uh, share your resources in kind as well so uh, we were doing work of relief uh, in uh, also in two districts in bihar and uh, five districts in uh, madhya pradesh uh, we were able to do it just because of sub granting that work has to be stopped now the one thing which has become more serious that uh, these uh, one provision in fcra which says that uh, donations from uh, nris is considered as non fcra which may be considered as a good provision but it is very hard to implement because you know banks are not ready to accept easily that a person who is transferring money from new york uh, should be uh, taken into the local account and uh, if we say that look there's a provision in the in the fcra uh, rules that it is actually a local money then they ask for like passport details or aadhar card or their uh, other uh, credentials which are actually personal details and a person who is donating some money why he, sh- he or she should be sharing their personal details so uh, that is a fear for one small mistake there's a penalty of 1 lakh rupees so for that reason it is very difficult to actually have confidence uh, in work now we are more like in fear that ev- at every point it is very easy to get into a, a problem Uh, because it is framed in such a manner that uh, that you cannot work very comfortably so uh, and it it has a direct impact on our work almost 60% work of relief is reduced in the in the second wave you said there's a provision in the law to treat nri donations differently you know as a uh, local donations so are there any issues if an nri tries to donate money to a CSO or civil society organization through an online payment gateway for example i have observed in some organizations they are facing now that uh, uh, it is very difficult to segregate at the gateway label that if uh, whether the person who is donating money is a nri or is not an nri so immediately if the money from the bank of new york is being transferred it uh, immediately gets into fcra account so it is actually offense for as uh, fcra law is concerned so that is really a very big challenge that how to manage it and banks are not actually equipped with this understanding that how to deal with the fcra management and uh, uh, that is also actually restricting our options uh, to generate resources from nris india is my home and india is bleeding and we as a global community need to care and i'll tell you why we need to care because unless everyone is safe no one is safe So please use your resources and focus your energy on helping stop this pandemic. Please donate. Ingrid, uh, you would be familiar of course with the uh, bigger non-profits who would have been used to giving sub-grants as we mentioned. So how are they adapting to the current regulations? What are the, you know, difficulties they are facing and what's the impact? so even the largest organizations in dulekha are currently struggling 
with these new regulations. Uh, I serve on the boards of some of these organizations and they have spent inordinate amounts of time just trying to navigate what is FCRA, what is not. If I transfer to a government hospital, for example, could that still be seen as subgranting? If I uh, get the donor to uh, send it directly to the hospital, does that still count as subgranting? The confusion around the regulations is huge. And the usual experts that you would turn to, your chartered accountants and your accounting firms, are of no help because there is no sort of you know, body of experience here to advise you uh, on what is okay and what is not. The consequence of that is that everybody is being ultra cautious. So the metaphor I'm using is everybody's coloring well within the lines. You know, you don't want to go anywhere near the lines for fear that you might. So wherever there's a doubt, you're just refusing to accept the donation. Or wherever there's a doubt, you're sort of uh, putting the donation on hold and asking the donor to wait till you have clarity, which is, of course, not conducive to fundraising, right? We're seeing the numbers this time in terms of money coming in are roughly twice as much as they were in the first wave. And the bulk of the money this time, 80% of the money that's coming in and some uh, online portals, for example, is coming from overseas this time, as opposed to last time where it was predominantly domestic. So the struggle to navigate and understand what exactly the implications are is one big new burden. The sort of suggest some of the ways that you could consider is, let's say you were subgranting to 20 organizations. Instead of the donor writing you a check and you making those subgrants, you now have to persuade the donor that they should write 20 separate checks to each of your erstwhile subgrantees, do 20 sets of due diligence on each of those subgrantees, accept 20 different monitoring and evaluation reports from those subgrantees. And you hope then that your donor is willing to take on this extra transaction burden. Multiple donors have already turned away. I mean, they've said, look, there's plenty of need in many parts of the world. We should just take our money and go to those countries where uh, our money is welcome. Of course, and you can't blame them for their perspective. But but you also mentioned that there's, you know, twice the amount of money coming in, particularly, uh, you know, bulk of it from abroad. So when uh, the regulations are the way they are, where is that money primarily going? So essentially, you know, if you're an international donor that has long experience in India and good networks in India, let's say you're, I don't know, been here for 50 years or something or 20 years, you might still be able to navigate this thing because you know who does what and who can be trusted and Mm -hmm. who you have a working relationship with or a prior history with. But if you're a relatively new donor, and a lot of the donors this time are, you know, the new billionaires out of Silicon Valley, for example, who don't have that experience on the ground with NGOs, And so they're the ones who are really stuck. They're the ones who have the largest amounts of money to give. uh, But they're the ones who are really stuck navigating uh, this minefield. And so essentially contributions are being held up uh, or they're, you know, reaching out to say, can you give us a list of organizations that we can send, send these things to. But even that is suboptimal, right? Because the need is changing day by day. I mean, you know, Last week, it was Bombay and Delhi. This Mm -hmm. week, it's Bangalore and Chennai uh, or Goa. Uh, So 
what you could do earlier was that it could come to a central organization and they could disburse whether it was equipment or money based on the evolving needs. Now you need your donor to send the money directly to the end beneficiary. Uh, and they can't in turn re-grant that to anyone else. So it's it's suboptimal. The only other choice, of course, is to donate the money to the PM Cares Fund, uh, which is not subject to any FCRA constraints um, and can do what it pleases. And in fact, if you're an Indian donor, can even give you a 100% tax exemption, which no NGO can. Understood. Sachin, uh, how are you managing in this situation? I mean, are you looking at uh, more CSR funds, for instance, or reaching out to Indian donors? To what extent are they able to uh, bridge the gap? Uh, yes, uh, we are trying to generate more local resources uh, in Madhya Pradesh and also trying to reach out to CSRs. But uh, since uh, we have not uh, been working with the many CSRs, so actually get into the uh, the process, the complete the uh, partnership processes is also a very big challenge. So that could not be worked out till now. Uh, but it is also a fact that in India, we do not, as far as individual support or individual contributions are concerned, we do not have a tradition to support CSOs in general. Our society is more inclined to donate to religious or specific community linked organizations. So the resources are very less. Uh, we are more focusing on, uh, in this situation, we are more focusing on communication, awareness related work, as it requires re- less resources. So that is how we are trying to manage. As you also know that a uh, lot many people are in need of counseling and correct information. So that work we have already started. We're also trying to fill this gap uh, about the fake information about vaccination myths. We are trying to work as myth busters. Also, our team is trying to address the calls for hospital beds, oxygen and ICU facilities by connecting dots. We know that a lot of information is spreading around, but uh, one has to verify it and have updated information where so most of the work that can be done with less financial resources and more human resources can be used. So that's how uh, trying to engage with uh, more volunteers uh, in this exercise. But definitely uh, support in terms of uh, oximeters or medicines or food and nutrition kits is still uh, really a challenge that uh, we are facing at this moment of time. Uh, Something that uh, Sachin uh, didn't touch upon is that the other problem that NGOs are grappling with this time to a much, much more severe level than last time is the the health of their own staff. Uh, I was talking to one large national NGO and the CEO said that in their Delhi operation, which is the hardest hit, 60% of the staff are either unwell themselves or have taken time off to care for family members uh, who are unwell. So it's not just financial resources that are constrained at the moment. It's human resources that are also that have also been disproportionately hit. Of course. And the irony of all this is that, uh, I mean, the central government, which introduced these amendments last year, is also looking to institutionalize its engagement with civil society organizations and NGOs in the fight against COVID. I mean, how do you view this paradox and has there been any response from the government, the appeals to change the you know, current state of affairs? So multiple organizations, NGOs directly, uh, philanthropists, business people, most recently NASCOM, the software industry uh, trade body, have uh, made appeals to uh, different power centers within the government, whether that's the PMO, the 
o ministry or niti ayog or whoever you can access really as you know there are also a few petitions that have been filed in the supreme court to specifically waive the bank account requirement or to defer the bank account requirement as far as i know there has been no official response at all thus far my final question and i'd like uh, both of your perspectives on this if the amendment is not changed or if these laws are not uh, kind of put in abeyance at least for the time being what is your outlook on the impact especially with regard to covid relief sachin uh, why don't you go first yeah i see a very serious impact on the relief work uh, for for various reasons the first thing that we have observed in the last uh, more than uh, 13 months uh, that civil society organizations have played a very important role in terms of Uh, communication with the community we have seen that the, the way system is addressing covid is more mechanical more hardware support uh, to address uh, the problem of covid whereas there is a very urgent need to actually communicate with the people address their emotional needs uh, uh, talk to them uh, engage them uh, in dialogue also mobilize community leaders in the management of covid that is the one work which actually civil society organizations could have done in the best manner still they are trying hard in their own limitations but that is going to affect very seriously and i find the lack of communication lack of strategic communication is actually one uh, component that has actually uh, that is making uh, this problem more severe so that is one area i feel is uh, going to impact we also see that uh, during this covid pandemic there is another pandemic is in existence and that is hunger Uh, and for that actually uh, civil society organizations uh, are playing a very important role and uh, with the uh, lack of access to resources uh, in the present time uh, this is also going to impact uh, very seriously thank you sachin and ingrid what do you see as the outlook of uh, you know the current state of affairs in the months ahead so we are referring to this as sort of the triple whammy right which is on the one side ngos have taken this severe hit to their capacity to respond uh thanks to their own staff and their families being struck by the virus on the other hand they're dealing with the fact that the is a surge in demand for their services from the communities that they serve for all kinds of services from trusted information as such in this point out to everything to you know setting up isolation centers in villages uh bridging this ridiculous gap that we have created by you know making vaccines only available through a, an app that is only available in english uh, and that requires uh, sophisticated technological skills in order to actually get a booking so all those intermediary roles uh, have been hit and of course the diversion of donor funds uh, either to the pm cares fund or to covid relief exclusively leaving your core programs uh, whether those be in education or you know you might be working with hiv aids patients or you might be working with child labor or whatever leaving all those core programs uh, underfunded uh, but the impact really is the impact on communities that we need to be concerned about i mean how many deaths could have been prevented if supplies of equipment and medication had been unrestricted which has been the case in prior disasters i mean this is what we had in 2001 uh, when the earthquake struck gujarat where there was a complete waiver on fcra as well as a 100% tax exemption for domestic donations 
how many children you know would have stayed in school or not been married off or not been trafficked or not gone hungry or not become child laborers if donor resources in india could have been fully supplemented uh, by resources from overseas how much faster could we have reached communities uh, to build awareness of preventive measures equip frontline health workers uh, to allow them to do their jobs of testing and tracing how many infections could we have prevented how many deaths could we have prevented we would probably never know thank you so much ingrid and sachin for sharing your perspective you're very welcome so we have such a simple ask it is an ask at ministry of health affairs administrative staff can simply do it which is to just extend the deadline by 6 months it is such a simple ask all you have to do is literally sign one sheet of paper and say that yes we recognize the logistical issues on our side and we understand the need of the hour and we will delay this for 6 months then work can continue it is such a simple ask it is not complicated and that's all it is and there are some organizations who did miss the deadline and so it will also make sense given that they meet all the fcra requirements it's just a matter of shifting your fcra account from one city to another for them to also get a little reprieve in submitting their paperwork tulika the maryland based economist and aid india volunteer calls it a very simple ask but it's an ask that if the government accepts could go a long way in helping both donors abroad and ngos here to get aid to those who need it the most at the earliest in this time of severe distress on may 20th the delhi high court will be hearing the union government's response to a petition along the lines of what tulika mentioned seeking that the april 1 deadline to ngos for opening their sbi delhi bank accounts be extended by 6 months at a time when lives and livelihoods are literally dependent on how fast aid reaches them that does not seem like too much to ask for to begin with you've been listening to the morning brief from the economic times and i'm indulekha arvind this episode was edited by nehal chaliawala and coordinated by anjali venugopalan Do share your feedback with us at the morning brief at timesgroup.com and please share the episode on social media as well. The morning brief airs every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and have a great day. All the clips used in this podcast belong to their respective owners. You can find the credits in the description.